The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. Welcome to the show. Uh, the current administration is likely to behave outrageously all the way to the end of the end, which is going to be a Wednesday, January 20th. And in the meantime, we're expecting a lot of action in different ways. Yesterday, House Democrats did introduce articles of impeachment against Donald Trump. This is the second impeachment against Donald Trump, and Trump could be very quickly heading to being the only president to be impeached two times. This article of impeachment filed yesterday is for inciting the mob that attacked the Capitol last week. And uh, we now have a question mark as to what will the next 24 to 36 hours look like. And I'll talk about that with you um, in a moment. Nancy Pelosi and uh, the rest of her caucus of the constituency of Democrats in the House are also simultaneously working the 25th Amendment angle, which, again, I don't believe is actually going to go anywhere. But there they want Vice President Mike Pence, along with Donald Trump's cabinet, to intervene and simply remove Donald Trump. Now, as I've said before, removal of Trump via the 25th Amendment was warranted years ago, and it continues to be impeachment of Donald Trump again is warranted. And it is the right thing to do, even though neither is likely to remove Trump even a minute short of when his term will end at noon Eastern time next Wednesday. But these are responsibilities that our lawmakers have, not political calculations to be made. And so I've, I have said that uh, they should indeed go forward. And the schedule as we now understand it, and because things are moving so quickly, by the time you listen to this, there may have been some modification. The House is uh, likely to vote tonight formally calling on Vice President Pence to strip Trump of the presidency via the 25th Amendment. Um, so the process so far has been articles of impeachment introduced yesterday. We hear from Nancy Pelosi that the articles of impeachment will be voted on potentially tomorrow at 9 a.m. if Pence does not act to remove Donald Trump via the 25th, which of course requires the cabinet as well. Uh, and if indeed that doesn't happen, then and only then would there be an impeachment vote. And so this is the New York Times is describing this as a standoff between two branches of government. House Democrats are pressuring Mike Pence to intervene and are so that that's between the House uh, uh, and, and the executive. And then at the same time, you are potentially going to see a standoff between Democrats and Republicans, not so much within the House where the Democrats appear to very clearly have the votes to impeach Trump a second time, uh, but with regard to what's going to happen in the Senate. And it, is, it has already been discussed that there is, of course, not time to conduct a Senate impeachment trial between now or what is more likely going to be tomorrow, the impeachment vote and the end of Donald Trump's presidency. That would be just one week. Um, but that is not a problem. Legally speaking, a president can be impeached after they, they leave office. They can be convicted on impeachment after they leave office. But if you start that in two weeks or in three weeks, what do you do to the first hundred days of Joe Biden when we are um, 
desperately needing to accelerate vaccine distribution. We are in the middle of a disastrous handling of a global hundred year pandemic. And Joe Biden presumably plans to do quite a bit in his first hundred days. So the idea has already been floated of you vote to impeach during Trump's term and then you hold those articles of impeachment, delaying the Senate trial for a period of several months. We, we don't we just don't know at this point what's going to happen now. At the same time, you might recall that Donald Trump and Mike Pence hadn't met since the riotous insurrection on Wednesday and reportedly hadn't even spoken. We've now learned, thanks to New York Times reporting, that Trump met with Pence yesterday for the first time since he publicly denounced Mike Pence on Twitter as the riotous insurrection was happening. Trump taking to Twitter and saying Pence didn't he didn't do it. He just didn't do the right thing. And uh, the meeting was reportedly more than an hour long. And um, it, it it you know, there are varying reports from what happened, but it's being described as a fraught peace summit where the conversation is described as good, but it's unclear whether Pence said, listen, the pressure for me to use the 25th is growing and you should do this, that or the other thing to prevent me from having to do it. Although every indication we've received so far uh, is that it is very unlikely that Mike Pence is going to act in that way. So uh, for me, the real issue here is not one of political calculation. And it is not one of uh, legacy for people like Pence or other Republicans. I've already said all of these Republicans that in the last 14 days, 16 days of Trump's presidency have come out and said this is impeachable or he should resign or he should be removed or this is now over the line. These are not people who deserve really any praise from us for what they are doing. Uh, It doesn't take courage when Trump is at his weakest. Uh, And when much of the Republican Party, but certainly much of the country has turned against him and he's leaving anyway, it doesn't take courage at that point to come out and say, yeah, he should go. It would have taken courage maybe uh, to do it before when they actually would have been at electoral risk. I'm talking about Republican senators and members of Congress and others. Um, And at this point in time, it's merely a calculation about self-preservation. There are Republicans who have calculated and maybe they are right that at this point, distancing from Trump. Uh, 14 days before he's gone rather than a day after he's gone um, is better for them. And that's really what this is about. Even people like Lindsey Graham, we talked about, oh, Lindsey Graham on January 6th, or I guess it was really January 7th, very early January 7th in the morning. He he gave this speech saying we Biden's the president and we must and we it's we can't hold this up. And some people said, wow, that was a great speech by Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham is one of the slipperiest brown nosers of Trump. And within hours of that, as we covered yesterday, Lindsey Graham was on Fox News uh, begging for mercy for Trump and saying, listen, Trump did the right thing. He lowered the temperature and he made a, you know, a useful, productive statement saying Joe Biden. uh, Well, he actually didn't say Joe Biden. There will be a transition and I'm committed to it. Even the people that seem to be uh, sort of talking sense are really trying to play both sides. And there are there are a few exceptions. I mean, listen, Mitt Romney at least he stopped playing both sides years ago. He met with Trump early during the transition. It looked at the 2016 transition, mind you. It looked like maybe Romney was being considered for secretary of state and he went and had frog's legs or turtle soup or whatever with Trump. And then he wasn't considered. And earlier, Romney said what was on his mind. I disagree with Romney in that I think his condemnation should have been much stronger. 
I disagree with Romney in that Romney's still a religious Republican and I'm not. Uh, but at least my belief is Romney was telling us what he really felt for years. Whereas with Lindsay, it's flip flopping constantly and playing both sides. So impeachment vote tomorrow at 9 a.m., the most likely scenario, and we'll let you know what happens. We have to talk about something really important today. Uh, and the reason that this is so important is that we can't solve problems unless we understand them. And over the last few days, as different folks have weighed in on the violent Trumpist insurrection that took place last week, I've seen more and more commentaries that are missing the boat when it comes to the immediate and proximate causes of the insurrection and of the coup attempt. And specifically, I'm talking about claims that ultimately what happened last week comes down to merely economic unfairness and inequality and anger by the so-called working class. And even lots of people that I greatly respect have weighed in on this issue, and I believe they are wrong. I'll give you an example with total peace and love. My former economics professor from the University of Massachusetts, economist Richard Wolff tweeted, quote, what was seen in the Capitol building of Washington on January 6 was another manifestation of angry working class people. This will only continue unless basic changes happen in this country. We need to do something about the inequality of this society. I love Richard Wolf. He's been a guest on this show a dozen times. I was recently on his show. This is the worst take I've ever seen from Richard Wolf, who typically has really great takes. Uh, to some degree, this idea is a ver version of class reductionism. Class reductionism is the idea that in the end, all oppression, strife, violence, unrest, it all comes down merely to class struggle and uh, racial struggle is really class struggle and nationalistic struggle is really class struggle, et cetera. It's a gender struggle is really class struggle. And that if we reduce inequality, it's going to solve all of these different problems. And I think we have to be very careful because nobody's claiming that economics and class struggle uh, are are not important in in just about everything that we see in our political system. And even those claiming that it played a role last week are right. But in this particular case, the class struggle aspect of this absent a more detailed and comprehensive analysis falls woefully short in explaining what happened last week. Remember, shortly after Donald Trump was elected, there was a whole bunch of talk about this was about economic anxiety. Economic anxiety motivated people to give Donald Trump a shot because he spoke to those economic anxieties. And to some degree, it's true in that Donald Trump as a faux populist right wing populist, that rhetoric certainly appeals to economic anxiety in many people. But then as we had more information about the motivations of Trump voters, we came to learn that while there was economic anxiety on both the left and the right, that the right was motivated to vote for Donald Trump by many other things, including the resonance of Donald Trump's xenophobia, fear of losing perceived or actual status to immigrants coming in and taking jobs to brown people, s whole countries, you, that entire narrative. And case in point, there are so many counterpoints to the class reductionist argument or explanation about last week riots that the explanation of this is merely class struggle would be dangerous to accept as a full explanation for what, what we saw, including, by the way, that many of the people that participated in the insurrection, 
they had the money to not only tra travel to Washington, D.C., but to stay in hotels that aren't cheap. Now, I know that there were groups funding the travel, but many men for many people, that wasn't the case. These people were able to afford going to D.C., taking time off from work if they have a job, if they need to work and staying in expensive hotels. And so there are. Uh, uh, so that's one aspect. The other aspect is there are tons of people on the left and right that economically are way worse off than the protesters, rioters last week, but they were not there. And there are even examples of wealthy people going to D.C. on private jets to participate in the riot, although that's anecdotal. Obviously, most of these rioters did not fly in on private jets. But the point here is that there is something unique to those who, yes, mostly are not particularly privileged economically, but there is a significant xenophobic component. There is a significant ignorance to reality component. People who fall for. Listen, if this was just economic anxiety, you wouldn't see that the people at the riot are the people who fell for the obvious lies from Trump about a stolen election. What was really the most common factor among the rioters was that they fell for and they believed that the election was stolen from Donald Trump, which is demonstrably untrue. There were rich and poor people who fell for that. There were elites and non elites who fell for that. And importantly, poor people who didn't fall for it weren't there rioting. People who were significantly more economically disadvantaged or oppressed by the economic system weren't there rioting because they didn't believe this stupid narrative that the election was stolen. And so I very much appreciate the class aspect that at a general level has generated anxiety and a desire for change. The people that participated in this riot exposed the Trump movement for what it really is. And it's not merely an economic anxiety movement. It's a particularly extreme, radical, conspiratorial worldview informed by being uninformed that sure, to some degree overlaps with aspects of economic anxiety. But the truth is that at this point, economic anxiety is a reality for a huge portion of this country that there I, I agree with Richard Wolf and others when half the country can't meet an unexpected four hundred dollar expense without going into debt. Just about any group, unless you're saying we're only serving private jet owners, just about any group, healthcare workers, factory workers, educational workers, whoever, all of these groups will include a lot of economic anxiety. But that doesn't mean that that's the cause of violent, radical insurrectionist violence. And let's not miss the forest for the trees and pretend that it goes away simply by solving economic inequality. Um, you listen, you'll solve economic inequality. And a lot of these people will be furious that now uh, they are on the same level as a lot of people that they don't deserve. They don't believe deserve believed to be economically stable. And that gets us back to the xenophobia and, and the rest of it. So I, I think that these analyses miss the mark. I've seen a bunch of them and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. You can find me on Twitter at D Pacman. The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com. One of our sponsors is Four Sigmatic, the company best known for their delicious mushroom coffee. They're having a huge short lasting Black Friday sale right now when you use my link, which gives you up to 50 percent off. Four Sigmatic's mushroom coffee is organic, fair trade, single origin Arabica coffee with both lion's mane and chaga mushrooms. Chaga mushrooms have actually been shown to have potential 
in supporting the immune system in peer reviewed studies. I've been drinking Four Sigmatic coffee lately. It tastes nothing like mushrooms. It just tastes like delicious coffee. It's really easy on the stomach, doesn't give you a jittery feeling or a midday crash. And if you try it yourself, you will see why they have over 20,000 five star reviews. And best of all, if you don't love it, you'll get all your money back because they stand behind their product. You really have nothing to lose by giving it a try. Their incredible Black Friday sale is offering you up to 50% off plus an additional 10% off sale items, but only when you go to foursigmatic.com slash Pacman. That's F O U R S I G M A T I C dot com slash P A K M A N. You can find the link in the podcast notes. Regardless of your workout, nutrition and diet goals, it is crucial to have the right amount of protein in your diet. And if you're supplementing with protein powders, you should be sure you have the powder that is right for you. And that's where our sponsor Gainful comes in. Gainful offers customized protein based on your body type, diet, fitness habits and goals. Their formulas are optimized for you with simple and effective ingredients, no fillers, gluten, soy or anything artificial. And Gainful also gives you free, unlimited one on one access to your own registered dietitian, which is a great bonus you won't find anywhere else. And my favorite part is that Gainful protein is never repetitive or boring because they will rotate the flavors you choose like rich chocolate, cookies and cream, chocolate, peanut butter, strawberry cream, cafe mocha. I took their quiz and they gave me protein tailored to my specific needs. Everything was quick and easy. I've been loving what they sent me. You'll get 15% off your first month when you go to gainful.com slash Pacman. That's G A I N F U L dot com slash P A K M A N. And the link is in the podcast notes. The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com. So there were sadly suspicions that there may have been police officers who either stood aside or even helped the Trump rioters on January 6th. And sadly, it appears that this is true. We've now learned that several members of the United States Capitol Police have been suspended, according to acting Capitol Police Chief Yogananda Pittman. Uh, earlier yesterday, Congressman Tim Ryan, a former guest on this program, said that two officers had been suspended. One officer took a selfie with one of the violent insurrectionists. Another gave them a tour of the Capitol building, according to Congressman Ryan. Tim Ryan also saying that there are 10 to 15 ongoing investigations into officer conduct during the insurrection. This was at a press conference given yesterday by Tim Ryan. Ryan also indicated that a third individual has been arrested, but said it's not currently clear if they're a member of the Capitol Police or the National Guard. And this is um, I mean, listen, the, there, there's a few different things that have to be talked about here. First of all, we were cautious when the theory started that this was a plot and that Capitol Police in advance were planning to usher in protesters. And I said, as those theories started to be presented, 
Let's be careful about that because we don't have evidence of that yet. When we saw, you know, a 15 second video of police clearing some barricades uh, and that was pointed to as evidence of a conspiracy involving the Capitol Police, I said we, we have to be careful because anybody who knows about crowd control knows that once you know you're you are overwhelmed and your physical barriers will, will not hold. You do move the physical barriers to avoid others and yourself getting hurt and trampled by the barriers themselves. And so I, I urged caution. And indeed, what we know, listen, the, I think one of the important things is if your view on police is radically different today than it was around the George Floyd protests, then you should question whether your view is tuned to reality. During the George Floyd protests, my view was that based on everything I knew, uh, most police officers are doing their jobs to the best of their abilities, and most police officers are becoming officers, generally speaking, for the right reasons, because they want to protect their communities, uh, do, do, do something that's good for their communities. And there are a lot. There are too many bad actors that slip through the cracks due to lack of systems that prevent them from doing so. And so when you're talking about an apparatus as large as law enforcement, there is no doubt that there will be horrible people in a group uh, and a bad apple can spoil the bunch. So it's not a surprise that now we are starting to see two, three people suspended, a dozen under investigation. I'm sure that there are more than two officers involved last week. Uh, and potentially even even uh, military folks as well. The investigations are ongoing that behaved absolutely atrociously. Um, eventually, there should be firings and not suspensions. But I think it's also important that, you know, when when we jump into the conspiracy theories or when we start making the claims that aren't based in fact, we become just as bad as them and there's no reason to do it. Eventually, the truth is going to going to come out. The suspensions are happening. The arrests of the rioters are happening and, and it's all happening. And remember, there are also people in law enforcement who acted heroically last week. Eugene Goodman is a Capitol Police officer who is rightly being hailed as a hero who realized what was going on, realized that the armed uh, that the violent insurrectionists, some of whom we suspect were armed, were getting into the direction of the Senate chamber in which there were senators. And Eugene Goodman lured these rioters in the opposite direction. Eugene Goodman made himself a decoy. So let's take this a step at a time. Yes, investigations. Is anyone surprised that some when you look at the percentage of, of law enforcement that voted Trump? Of course, in that there are going to be some people that are carried away by what they love to see. There were people in law enforcement who loved what happened last week. Some even participated off duty. Um, so, of course, we're seeing this. So the investigations must continue. We need attention to be devoted to investigating supervisors and leadership to figure out what happened. And that means both supervisors and leadership who ignored the signs that were there that this was likely or probable to happen. Um, and, and that needs to be investigated as well. The difficult part is that for every two that actually helped in a way that warrants a suspension, like the two that have been suspended so far, there were a bunch that sort of were OK with it and kind of looked the other way. And it wasn't criminally negligent, but it's still very problematic. And that is much more difficult to weed out and to deal with. But again, most of the people on duty were just doing their jobs and they effectively ended up abandoned by management and colleagues. 
Anyone that watches the videos can tell that a vast majority of the police on scene were doing their jobs and they were putting themselves in harm's way. And very importantly, any officer that was involved in any way must be fired. They must lose pension progress that they've made and it must be taken extraordinarily seriously. You're not going to change political views by doing this. I understand that uh, if you're a Trumpist and you get fired because of your role in the riots, uh, Trumpist police officer, you don't all of a sudden become a progressive. I understand that it would be naive to think so. But the point is much like the point I made about the need to find and arrest and charge and throw the book at the rioters themselves, which is that. And we're going to talk momentarily about the risk of more of these riots coming up in the next week, eight days. If the punishments aren't severe, they will be encouraged to do it again. And that's the biggest risk. And it seems that it is sadly going to happen. So uh, I've been talking about this for a couple of days now, and I've been tweeting about it for some time. And I, I tweeted days ago, it's unlikely that January 6th was the last riot or at least the last attempted riot. And indeed, ABC has now obtained an FBI bulletin, which is warning all 50 states and federal law enforcement that armed protests are being planned at all 50 state capitals. It's expected to start as soon as days from today and run at least through Inauguration Day on January 20th. Armed protests are being planned at all 50 state capitals and in Washington, D.C. Um, the uh, if you've been following some of what's been happening on the right wing social media platform parlor, you probably also know that at least the language around going armed this time is significantly scarier and more belligerent. In terms of weapons in D.C. January 6th, there are anecdotally stories and some pictures of what appear to be armed insurrectionists, although um, it, it, it is not clear that that was an overwhelming issue on January 6th. And of course, Washington, D.C. gun laws are far stricter than the gun laws in many of the states from which the insurrectionists came on parlor. Increasingly, the language about going armed to the next series of riots is significantly more belligerent. And to the extent that some of these riots, rather than being in Washington, D.C., are going to be at state capitals, uh, it is likely that many of these would be insurrectionists and will not only be armed at the future protest, but they will be armed legally. OK, the FBI has also received information about a group that is calling for storming uh, courthouses as well as administrative buildings. If Donald Trump is removed from office anytime prior to Inauguration Day or if Trump is impeached by the House of Representatives or storming once Joe Biden is sworn in, which he will be on January 20th, regardless of what else happens between now and then. So there's there's a few thoughts about this. Number one, the reality is that this isn't we will do this only if Trump is impeached or only if Trump is removed by the 25th Amendment. The reality is that the the, the this the likelihood of this happening again is under any circumstance in which Joe Biden becomes president. So when I hear members of the Republican Party saying we have to heal and move on, impeachment would be divisive. It's time to go. Trump reduced the, the temperature with his ridiculous one minute video last week or whatever. Um, they, number one, are clearly downplaying the current threat level. 
But most importantly, it doesn't matter what the House or Senate do. The terrorists supporting the QAnon garbage aren't going to change their minds. They're not going to stop if and when Joe Biden becomes president and he's going to. Uh, it is likely that we are going to see more of this, and that's horrifying. The only way that these people don't do it is if somehow Trump is allowed to remain president. That's the only condition that they will accept, which is, of course, unacceptable to society. It's incongruent with the law and it can't be allowed to happen. So th that's the reality. There will be right wing violence if Joe Biden is sworn in. There will be right wing violence if Donald Trump is impeached. There will be right wing violence if Donald Trump is removed via the 25th Amendment. There will be right wing violence if Trump resigns because he will have been forced to resign is the way that they will see it. So unfortunately, if there's going to be violence, there's going to be violence merely because Donald Trump didn't get another four years. They're not rational. They've tied their identity to Donald Trump and Trump is leaving and they're angry. They are irrational. Many of them feel lost. They're not interested in governance or policy or the rule of law. And they've gone over the line and turned to violence instead of respecting our institutions. That that's it. That's the full story. Now we can pull in how much of it is economic anxiety, how much of it is racism, how much is xenophobia, how much of it is cognitive dissonance or ignorance. What role does mental illness or incel culture play? Great. But a line has been crossed where any scenario in which Donald Trump doesn't get another four years to some portion of these people warrants violence. And that's why the FBI is now uh, worried about what looks to be likely over the next week. So let's all be safe. Let's all be careful. Um, and we're going to continue following all of this as well as what will the House of Representatives and Senate do uh, and, and Mike Pence potentially about Donald Trump? Uh, I believe he will be president all the way to January 20th at noon. Uh, we will have more of, of, about this on our Instagram page. Find us on Instagram at David Pakman Show. And you can also find me on Instagram at David.Pakman. The David Pakman Show at DavidPakman.com. So it's a new year. And for many people, that means new goals around getting fit or losing weight. And if part of that for you involves a low carb or ketogenic diet, then I have something you will want to check out. It's called So Ketolicious, and they're giving you 20% off. So Ketolicious has perfected ketogenic crusts for baking your favorite foods. They make a delicious keto dessert crust, which comes in a chocolate and vanilla flavor. And it's perfect for making things like pies. They also have a premium keto pizza crust, which I've been using at home to make pizzas, and it's great. Uh, it is great to go right out of the freezer. And when you cook it, it doesn't fall apart like a lot of other low carb crusts do. It's high fat, which is perfect for keto, grain free, gluten free, no soy or additives or preservatives or fillers. But most importantly, they just taste great. I can tell you firsthand. Just go to davidpackmancom slash pizza. The link is in the podcast notes and they'll give you 20 percent off your entire order when you use the coupon code Pacman. If you are anything like me, you probably aren't thrilled with the idea of going into a doctor's office right now. And thankfully, there is a practical and affordable way to take control of your health and get personalized care from the comfort of your home. It's a service called Steady MD. They're one of our sponsors. 
You take a quiz, you get matched with a licensed primary care physician who understands your health needs. You have a one hour video call with your new doctor. You establish a meaningful relationship with them. And after that, your doctor is available to you anytime by text, phone or video chat. This is not a random doctor on call. Each doctor at steady MD has a limited number of patients, so they actually have time to listen to you. You get the personal attention that you deserve. They can do almost everything an in-person doctor can do, perform medical evaluations, talk to you about health concerns, send prescriptions to your home or local pharmacy and anything they can't do online. They'll quickly set you up with an in-person provider to do things like blood tests. As an example, you don't need insurance. It's only ninety nine bucks a month with no other fees or copays. I took their quiz. They matched me with a doctor who specializes in my particular health needs and situation. The doctor they gave me is a really perfect fit for me and my medical needs. They have a special offer only for my audience. You'll get 50% off your first month, but only until January 31st. So make sure to sign up soon. Go to steadymd.com slash Pacman. That's S T E A D Y M D.com slash P A K M A N. You can find the link in the podcast notes. Welcome back to the David Pakman show. Today I'm going to be speaking with filmmaker and journalist Daniel Lombroso, whose debut feature White Noise is based on his four years reporting inside the alt right and uh, opened last year. Daniel, so great to talk to you today. Thank you for having me on the show. So in the film, you uh, spend time with at least some folks that I know to some degree, I've interviewed Richard Spencer a few years ago, and it was sort of a, a interesting experience, which which we can talk about. I mean, I guess first to kind of set the stage, what what was the goal here? How did you get into covering the alt right, and and how did you end up um, uh, basically meeting a lot of these people and spending time with them? So I was one of the first reporters in the country to start covering the alt right right around when actually you were putting out these really important primers on the movement, and I was watching them at the time. If you go back to 2016, when Trump was a candidate, the movement was not getting a lot of attention. And I was a young reporter at The Atlantic at the time. And, you know, I just said to my editors, like, there's this fiercely anti-Semitic racist movement that's bubbling up online at the time on Reddit and obviously 4chan as well. I had only graduated from college a few years earlier. So I saw, you know, aspects of that on college campuses already. And I just said to the editors of The Atlantic, this is something we have to pay attention to. It's only growing in strength. Um, a few months later, I, I started covering Richard Spencer before he was a household name. And I was the one who actually caught a room full of people breaking out into Nazi salutes. You might remember that viral video at the time. Yep. And that was really important because it clarified that this, this wasn't just a group of edgy conservatives like the way it was covered. And I think you also did a great job of clarifying that at the time. These, this was fundamentally a white nationalist movement and it, and it needed to be covered, you know, with the utmost due diligence and care. When Charlottesville happened about eight months later, The Atlantic understood that this was only growing in strength and they gave me the space to, to produce a feature film. So that's when it really became a full time project. When you look at uh, your time spent with these folks and I, I know I know you've covered Richard Spencer, you've covered Mike Cernovich, you've covered Lauren Southern and and many others. 
Um, mm-hmm. There, I'm curious your thoughts on whether we can make any more general assessments of the goals of these folks, because to some degree, I feel like many of them recognize that their goals, at least as stated, are not likely to become a reality anytime soon. And so that leads me to wonder about whether this is essentially a, a, a marketing of some kind, marketing themselves, PR, a sense essentially becoming known within a movement and less less about actually achieving the movement's goals or whether or, or whatever. I mean, I guess that's that's I'll leave it there. It's a great question. I mean, it really runs the gamut. I think fundamentally this is a violent movement. Richard Spencer, who coined the term alt-right, he believes in a white ethno state. What that it might sound like a flashy word, but what it means is a country that has, let's say, 90% white population. The US is 63% white and declining every year. I think that's great. We should live, not that we cheer for that, but it's great to have a multicultural country where everyone gets along. You know, to get to the 90% white ethno state, we're talking about mass deportations, we're talking about ethnic cleansing. Like, those are fundamentally racist ideas. But then you get the other side of it, and white noise really is all about the spectrum of the alt-right and how it goes, all the grifterism that's part of it. You get a guy like Mike Cernovich who you know, is happy to benefit from the racism and how it can help you build a brand. And you see over the course of the film that he's selling skincare products, he's selling pills, he's making money off of big parties in like some crappy bar in New York City. There's, there's so much about it that's opportunism, it's celebrity, it's vanity. So the motivations are mixed, and I think that's why people are having a lot of t- having trouble sometimes making sense of what happened Wednesday. They're saying, is this serious or is it LARPing? It can be both. And I found that it was both. Yeah. I mean, it seems like in a country of three hundred and thirty one million, uh, there's plenty of room for all of the above to be examples of it and to still have plenty of everything. Exactly. And I think what needs to be clear, though, is that even if you're coming from it as someone who's LARPing, who's cosplaying, who's having their moment in the sun, you're still adjacenting yourself to the Spencers, to the Oath Keepers, to these people who believe this is a white man's country. And I think that's, you know, morally problematic. And maybe that will get you some more Twitter followers and some money. But it's not worth the coalition that you're in. One of the things that's come up in the days since the January 6th uh, riotous insurrection um, is uh, some even people I, I respect, like, for example, economist Richard Wolf, who was my college professor and others have been sort of reducing what took place last week to economic oppression and the, the natural result of inequality. And I respect a lot of the folks that are saying this, but I think that these are, are sort of some of their uh, less good takes. And I did a commentary about it earlier on in today's program. I'm curious because you you were in and and observing a lot of these movements. Uh, yeah. What what can we say about the degree to which economic oppression plays a role, not for people like Spencer, who I believe is, is from a wealthy family individually, but in the people that follow these movements, to what degree like w- could it be that economic oppression is what makes them liable to get sucked in, but is not really the focus of the activism? Or what can we say about the economic aspect? I think the economic anxiety argument is nonsense. No offense to to the professor. I mean, most of the people that I covered were upper, upper middle class, highly, oh, interesting. Educa- highly educated. They live in New York, D.C., Los Angeles. All the scenes in my film take place in liberal enclaves, San Francisco, you know, Southern California, D.C., many others. I mean, that's where these movements have strength. And of course, they can't they attract foot soldiers from Alabama and whatever, but this is not like your granddaddy's racism of people in, you know, in trailer parks, like burning crosses. And of course, there's some of that iconography, but this is 
the leaders down to the followers are really like smart, educated kids, um, you know, who've been radicalized by these ideas. And you ask about how it happens. It's not because they're hit with high taxes and they feel like it's it's tyrannical and they just want a more libertarian state. Maybe there are a few of those people. I met very few of them. What it really is, is that these people are selling you on a promise that you might be a bored, unemployed kid in your mom's basement, but you're actually a descendant of a crusader, of a Greek, of a Roman, that you could take part in this amazing historical legacy. Um, and I think that's a really intoxicating narrative to see that you're not just, you know, a, dis you know a, a disaffected kid with no sense of purpose in the world. You could take part in something larger. And that's what they're really appealing to is this sense of narrative, kind of the sense of purpose, existential purpose. Well, when I've when I've interviewed former KKK neo-Nazi types, uh, you know, Frank Mink and Scott Shepard and, you know, a lot of these different interesting people uh, and yeah. those who have spent time with them, folks like Daryl Davis, as an example, the thing that invariably comes up is that they were pulled into these movements from a very particular circumstance, which almost always is lack of connection to other people, often parents, but not necessarily feeling out of touch with anything that they would call community. Sometimes there's abuse, psychological or physical that's going on. And and for the most part, they will they will recognize these are the ones that made it out. Right. So it's a self-selected group. But they will recognize that the ideology could have almost been anything from mm -hmm. whoever kind of presented them with empathy and connection and a place where they could belong. Can you talk about that a little bit in the experiences you've had researching and doing the film? It's a great point. I mean, when you're inside the movement, it feels like a subculture that could be any kind of subculture. It's almost like they're Internet celebrities who happen to be racist. And mm -hmm. of course, the racism is important. But what you notice immediately is the, is the commonalities, the code of communication, they all dress the same, you know, 20th century, like Hitler youth style haircuts. Many of Richard Spencer's followers wear short shorts and they're all drinking the same drinks like whiskey. They're all eating the same foods. There's all of these in-group jokes. I mean, it's really a community. It's a cult like any other. And it, it, it I've, I've done a lot of embedded reporting in other types of fundamentalist movements, but any, any sort of community. And it resembles any sort of tight knit community where the community is conferring importance onto the followers, giving them a sense of purpose in the world. And I think if you track it to the individual, all of them have a sense of resentment. They feel like that they haven't been given their due in the world. So Mike Cernovich was an out of work lawyer. His first wife was very successful. She's a, she's a lawyer at several big tech companies and they got divorced. He took a lot of her money and in, in, he took a lot of money in alimony, which is very, you know, beta for the so-called alpha male. Um, and he felt really resentful that he never really took off as a lawyer. And then he found a niche in this world. He became someone prestigious on the far right. Um, you know, mainstreaming everything from Pizzagate to that Hillary had Parkinson's. He became a person of status. And I think that's what this can provide. And, and, and the list goes on and on. Richard Spencer was a, an out of work journalist, never got any attention. And then one day Trump ran was the gasoline that Spencer needed to start the engine. And, and it, all of them, especially the leadership, share that kind of story where the movement gave them a, gave them a purpose in the world. N not that this was the most important thing you just said, but it just kind of piqued my curiosity. You say they, they eat the same foods. What foods are they eating? That that's that's interesting. Um, you know, there's a, there's a few funny examples. Uh, Lauren Southern, who's one of the three characters in the film, and I think probably the most interesting her husband, her, her boyfriend at the time, they've now broken up. 
we joked with a culinary white supremacist because he told me he refused to eat, quote, non-European foods. Really? So I, so I went, to, I, I filmed them on a date once and he wouldn't touch the ketchup because he claimed ketchup was originally derived from China from the word ketchup or something. So he wouldn't touch the ketchup and we ate at like a British pub in Toronto. They ate. Um, it's in the film and it's also in an article I wrote about Lauren and that section of the story went totally viral on Twitter because it's just absurd and hilarious. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, I wonder, is is brisket considered white Russian or Jewish? Like, would brisket be acceptable? I wonder where they would come down on that. Well, Jews are not part of the ethno state. And I, right. I, I, I'm Jewish and I was on a road trip with with Spencer to one of his shoots and the car broke down once and we were stuck in central Florida in pitch black at a gas station for a few hours. And I said, Richard, like, can I be a part of your ethno state? And he was like, I'm sorry, Daniel, but uh, it's not going to work. Yeah, <laughs> so well, it's interesting you mentioned that because when I had him on, there was this question of sort of like, you know, the, a lot of this idea of the ethno state is based on some fundamental incompatibility of these groups that just that in, like we can kind of pretend to get along. And he said you and I could probably get together and have a beer and there would not be an, an obvious conflict in that particular interaction. But at some bigger picture level, there's differences in values, there's differences in culture, et cetera. Uh, and and I don't know if he uh, this interview was three and a half years ago. I don't know if it's he or others in, of his ilk who have said that when Jews appear to be integrated into American culture, it's because they've essentially given up whatever is core to them and are kind of adopting the American thing. There's kind of these post hoc explanations, but you actually did the thing like you hung around for a while. Yeah. And I think what happens, I'm also, you know, I'm Jewish. I'm also the grandson of two Holocaust survivors. And over time, I would tell my subjects about their terrible stories, you know, losing most of their families. You know, I think everyone makes exceptions for people they like. Mm. And the honest truth is that they came to like me. They would text me in vulnerable moments. A lot of that, you know, that stuff that was on the record is in the story I wrote about Lauren. You know, they would make exceptions. But the truth is, is that like the Jew is and always has been a stand in for any sort of issue that we see in society. So now they're the bankers that, you know, Soros obviously is something we use all the time. He's the image of the parasite who's pulling the strings from behind the scenes. You know, it's very common to hear them talk about the Rothschilds used to talk about the Zionist occupied government, which really isn't anything about Israel. It's actually saying that the U.S. is, an, is occupied by Jews behind the scenes. And, you know, I think there's so much dog whistles, anti-Semitism that's all around in this movement. Some of them don't even realize that they're purveying it and others are, are actively doing it. And when it comes to the ethno state, you know, they're very, very clear that th that this might come as a surprise to most Americans, but that Jews don't count as white in far right contexts. Historically in Europe, Jews were not considered white. They were the original other. Of course. And um, yeah. And, and you know, R Richard, to achieve his dream, is willing to accept any kind of white person that wouldn't have historically been seen white just because he needs numbers. So he'll take Russians, he'll take Southern Italians, all the undesirables of the past are fine. Right. But Jews, because of their unique history, would, would, would not be part of it. In the limited time we have left, based on your, all of your work and, and knowledge and experience, we're wondering once Trump goes, a lot of these folks that seem to have only gotten involved in politics because of Trump and don't really care about policy. They're not really conservatives in the traditional sense. Do they remain engaged? Do they mostly go back to being apolitical the way they were before Trump? I think they remain engaged. And the reason is this. There's a huge market opportunity for these ideas. There, mm. are, mil there are millions of people who believe them. Stop the steal, the hashtag around, you know, 
that the election was you know supposedly stolen from Trump. It's completely untrue. People are bringing in hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars behind that fraudulent idea. There are many individuals, I'm not going to call them out by name, who've made a lot of money from that, that lie and many other lies. The market opportunity will remain because there are millions of resentful people that believe that this is a white man's country and believe that President Trump was wrongfully terminated by a bunch of liberals and Jews and Democrats. And as long as you know there is a base that's willing to eat up and pay for those ideas, the individuals will still be there ready to hawk them and, and make money off them. All right. Uh, we've been speaking with Daniel Lombroso. The film is white noise. W what are all the places where people can find the film, Daniel? Uh, it's on Amazon Prime. Um, it's also on iTunes and we're doing a, a global educational tour. So if you're interested in having a dialogue around the film, you can reach out to me as well. Thanks, Daniel. I, I really appreciate you telling us about it today. Thanks so much for having me. That was great. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. I want to take a second to tell you about one of our sponsors, SNH Masks. SNH Masks has everything you need when it comes to face masks and other protective gear for COVID-19. And they're giving my audience 20% off. SNH Masks is the company that I've personally been going to for face masks. I love and trust the products they sell. And that's actually why I reached out to them about being a sponsor. I've tried tons of different face masks this year, like many of you. And I still have not found a mask that is more comfortable or easier to breathe in than the washable cotton masks that they sell. It's made of a silky, lightweight cloth that feels great on the skin, has a convenient adjustable strap. They also have disposable cloth masks, which are really comfortable, as well as all of the other gear like face shields, alcohol wipes, no touch infrared thermometers. And all of their prices are very reasonable. I also love SNH masks because they've donated over 60,000 masks to healthcare institutions. They're an excellent company. Shipping is just five bucks and shipping is free on orders over $150. You can get there by going to davidpackman.com slash mask. The link is in the podcast notes and you can save 20% on everything in their store when you use coupon code David. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. So there's a new propaganda war being waged right now that was triggered by Donald Trump's suspension from Twitter and is growing because of the distancing that many for profit businesses have decided they want to make from the right wing social media app Parler. And I have news for everybody who's furious about what's happening to Parler. Woke mobs are not destroying Parler. Regulation is not destroying Parler. The government is not destroying Parler. Hackers are not destroying Parler. Capitalism is solely to blame for what is happening to Parler. Capitalism is responsible for Parler's demise. Apple and Amazon have removed Parler from their services because as for profit companies, they can do whatever the hell they want, partially because Republicans have refused to regulate them. They are making business decisions that they determined are best for them. And they are making these decisions within a free market in which you and I as consumers can also decide, wow, I don't like what Apple did to Parler. So now I'm going to boycott Apple or I can decide, you know what? I like what Apple did to Parler. I'm going to go and buy 10 iPhones if I want to do that.
Google decided to remove Parler from their app store because they say Parler isn't sufficiently policing user posts. And so a whole bunch of posts that encourage and incite violence and crime are remaining on the platform. And there are people who are furious and saying, well, hold on a second. Google is kind of a monopoly. So how can you say, well, if they're not on Google, uh, uh, on on Go the Google Play App Store, then you can get Parler because Google has a lot of market power. Well, where were these exact same Republicans when Elizabeth Warren was saying we've got to deal with the monopoly power of these companies? They were against it. These same Republicans who now are saying, but 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 they have monopoly power. They were against dealing with monopoly power when we on the left were sounding the alarm about the lack of antitrust enforcement, which was allowing monopoly uh, power to grow unchecked in the United States. So there's a real irony in that unregulated capitalism and the legalization of pseudo monopolies are responsible for the downfall of this far right social media platform, because the party that has been asking for more capitalism and more corporate freedom got it. And now they're furious that they have that freedom. And it has led to a free market of ideas and decisions in which many companies decided we don't want anything to do with Parler. Nobody's preventing the people at Parler from hosting their own servers and paying for them. That's how capitalism works. And much like Fox News is now being destroyed by the monster they created. Now that Fox News is not quite radical enough for some people, Fox News is losing some of their own radical audience to Newsmax and OAN. That's the same mechanism that's at play here. The only question I have is whether the right is pretending not to understand this or if they genuinely don't understand that this is a circumstance of their own making. No one's First Amendment rights have been silenced here. Everyone can say whatever the hell they want. But there are for profit companies saying we don't want anything to do with what Parler is offering. Amazon isn't required to provide hosting services to Parler when Parler allows members to violate the terms and conditions for Amazon hosting. Amazon will lose money because they lose Parler as a client. But that's Amazon's call to make. And by the way, let's go even further. Anti maskers, uh, by the way, being removed from places of business by business owners. That's not government regulation. That's a company deciding what's best for us is not to have anti maskers here. That's something they're allowed to do. D.C. rioters being put on no fly lists because airlines have decided they don't want their business or corporations saying you were at the D.C. riots. You're fired. We don't want you working for us. That's the free market. And lots of the people crying about free speech, first of all, don't understand what it means. And secondly, think that free speech means freedom from consequences to your speech. The consequences to your speech in the free market are part of free speech. The speech and the consequences are all part of speech. And remember that when we want to talk about the First Amendment, we have to be talking about the government, which is yet another detail that seems to be missed here. Now, you are going to hear and in fact, we're going to talk about it in the next segment. You are going to hear that all of these companies are limiting the First Amendment rights of individuals, that these companies are engaged in censorship or whatever the case may be. Go back and check out the interview I did with a uh, First Amendment 
a legal scholar about the misunderstandings that people have about what that even means. I know many of you know it, but in case many of you don't check that out uh, and let's now discuss a continued misunderstanding, deliberate or not, um, on the Tucker Carlson program. So one of the most interesting micro stories or sort of like sub stories of the entire Trump being banned from Twitter and Parler being kicked off of the Apple store is the story of Republican Senator Josh Hawley's book. So I'm going to kind of catch everybody up quickly. If we're not all on the same page, the story won't make a lot of sense. So uh, the meat of the story is as follows. Republican Senator Josh Hawley got a lot of attention before January 6th, and he got an attaboy from Donald Trump because Josh Hawley was the first Republican senator to say he would be objecting to the electoral vote count on January 6th. There had been a number of members of the House of Representatives who had said we will object. I will object. But for the objections to actually stop the count and lead to the two hours of debate that normally would would take place. You also need a senator to object. And Josh Hawley was the first senator to say, I will be objecting. Cut to January 6th, and we have a violent insurrection led by Trumpists. And after they were able to resecure the Capitol building later on January 6th, and they reconvened, Josh Hawley kept going with his objections and his bogus arguments about the election. So as a result of that, Josh Hawley lost a business opportunity. Book publisher Simon and Schuster decided they don't want to have anything to do with Josh Hawley anymore. And they said we are backing out of the book deal that we had made with Josh Hawley. Now, remember, Simon and Schuster is a company that exists in the United States, meaning they get to decide who they work with. They get to decide what book they publish. It's not the government. If the government got to decide what book Simon and Schuster published, we would be more uh, like a country with centralized control of industry. Some might call them communist countries. We would not be what we are if anybody were able to tell Simon and Schuster, you must publish Josh Hawley's book. Well, Josh Hawley went on Tucker Carlson's program last night and they both seem to not understand how capitalism works all of a sudden. Let's get into it. Senator, thanks so much for coming on. So there you're now one of the most despised uh, people in America. So I appreciate your taking the time for being hated to come on the show tonight. But I want to ask you specifically about what happened between you and Simon and Schuster. And I should say I publish with Simon and Schuster. I have a book contract for a future book with Simon and Schuster. It's making me very uncomfortable watching what they did to you. On what ground did they cancel your book contract? So let's even stop there just for a moment. Tucker says now he himself is uncomfortable because he has an upcoming book deal with Simon and Schuster. Well, you know what, Tucker, you can act on that. You can deal with that. If you're uncomfortable with what Simon and Schuster did, you have the power to say to Simon and Schuster, I don't want to do the book with you anymore. I'm going to find some right wing publisher or whatever the case may be. That's how capitalism works. If Tucker decides I'd rather not work with Simon and Schuster, I'd rather not accept the money. He can say to them, I'm out. Let's continue. Well, they, they don't like uh, the exercise of free speech. Tucker, I think, is at the end of the day. I mean, this is really about the First Amendment. It's really about free speech. And Simon and Schuster didn't like me doing what Democrats in Congress did in 2001 and 2005 and 2017 when Democrat members of Congress uh, objected during the certification process in order to try to have a debate about election integrity. You know, that's the First Amendment at work. That's democracy at work. But Simon and Schuster, and unfortunately, a lot of people on the left now have decided that uh, the First Amendment is something that they no longer support. And I'll just say this, Tucker, at a time of division, uh, we've got to rally around the things that unites us as Americans. And I think the First Amendment of free speech has got to be at the top of that list. 
So this is not about the First Amendment. Why? Why do they keep talking about the First Amendment? Josh Hawley has a right as a lawmaker. It's not really even about speech as a senator. Josh Hawley can object to votes on the grounds he objected to them. Simon and Schuster as a corporation that exists in the United States can decide we want to publish a book with Josh Hawley or we don't. That's it. That's the full story here. Josh Hawley is wrong that this is about the First Amendment or about free speech. And he also either forgets or doesn't know or pretends not to know that even if it were a free speech issue, freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom from the consequences of that speech. Speech has consequences. It's called capitalism, which they support. Tucker then also appears not to get it. So if some policy, some creepy low IQ politician says, I want to shut down the other side. OK, I get it. But a publisher is literally the guardian of the First Amendment. If you're a publisher, you exist because of the First Amendment. Your duty is to protect the First Amendment. But the people around Simon and Schuster are now so crazed with ideology that they can't bear to hear a contrary view expressed. I mean, what what does that pretend for the country? Well, I think it really shows, Sucker, that we're in a period where the First Amendment values and principles of freedom of speech, also freedom of worship, freedom of religion, these things are, are really under attack by some quarters, by many quarters. That is not at all what this is about. This has nothing to do with Simon and Schuster wanting to suppress speech or not being willing to hear a different opinion. Simon and Schuster made a business decision. Josh Hawley is a disgusting, depraved extremist agitator. His actions on January 6th confirm it. Simon and Schuster decided, you know, the, the books we would sell by doing this book with Josh Hawley for us don't outweigh the downside to our business of working with him. And they made a decision. How can anyone argue against Simon and Schuster's unilateral right to make that decision? Now, if Simon and Schuster said we refuse to publish books by or employ black people. Whoa, hold on a second. Now we're violating non-discrimination laws. That would be a very different story. But Simon and Schuster simply said we, we don't want to do business with someone. And Holly goes to the First Amendment here. Take a look. And again, I, I come back to the fact that this is something the First Amendment is something that unites us as Americans. And in this time of division, in this time of chaos, we've got to we've got to stand strong for that. If you're wondering why, when reporters go to Trump rallies and they interview people, the people start talking about this is a First Amendment violation and that's a First Amendment violation and this violated my free speech or Trump's free speech. This is why they are bombarded constantly with people who either don't understand or are deliberately lying to them about what is a free speech issue. What is a first First Amendment issue when it has nothing to do with that whatsoever? So, you know, I every time I ask this, a bunch of people say Tucker definitely knows this is not really about speech. Josh Hawley probably also knows they're being disingenuous. That may be that may be. It doesn't matter why they're doing it. It's bamboozling a lot of people. And again, it goes back to education and media literacy. If more people were better educated, they wouldn't fall for this nonsense about this being an issue of speech. Let me know what you think. We have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two David P. I'm getting more and more emails, voicemails, tweets as my goatee has filled in still pathetically, but it has. There are lots of people who are not pleased with it. Take a listen to this. Okay, David Pakman. Yeah. This is Thomas from Austin calling, sounding the alarm. Yeah. 
we don't need to go into this kind of goatee phase <laughs> that I see happening. Yeah. I'm very happy about your vitamin D levels. Thank you. But the goatee, it, it, it's not going to work, man. <laughs> You've got to go clean shaven. Looking good like a newsman. Yeah, so listen, I am not a newsman. I am merely an analyst, a commentator. So there's no editor telling me I need to be clean shaven, but it's not going to last that much longer. My girl girlfriend has already put in her complaint about it um, and uh, it's not going. I think I will probably do one show with just a handlebar mustache and then it'll be gone. I know this is not very important, but in a time when so much is happening that is extraordinarily disturbing. Uh, why not talk about one more disturbing thing, which is my inability to grow serious facial hair? We've got a great bonus show for you today. Uh, I am so glad to see that New England Patriots coach Bill Belichick is uh, not going to be moving forward with receiving the Presidential Medal of Freedom from Donald Trump. Very glad to see it. We will talk about that and much more on the bonus show. Grab a membership at joinpacman.com. <laughs> 